0: everyone it is the fly guys podcast episode number 27 and not sitting in studio is yours truly justin goodhart but sitting in studio or at least supposedly sitting in studio would be cameron klein cameron fighting off a bit of a bug so he didn't want to make she wanted to make sure that i didn't see him blowing chucks cameron how are you feeling right now
1: yeah it's it's better to you know take precautions in uh, days like today um times like these yes they're unprecedented times so uh yeah it's better to just you know, keep our distance, even though there's no no symptoms of the dreaded C word right now. Uh, Just uh some some other w- more gross, I would say, symptoms in, in a certain way.
0: Like I was swimming in the lake yesterday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What the hell happened, dude?
0: Yeah, I guess we should bring that part up. Um, So I, I was at the mountains. We went out on the boat, though, before the game yesterday. And I thought it'd be a nice little two hour, you know, way to kill two hours until the game. And my dad starts the boat up, no problem. We had to jump it because we knew the battery was dead. But again, you jump it, no big deal. Once the like a car, once the car is jumped, it's not going to just die for no reason. Right. Well, Cameron, a boat battery works a hell of a lot differently than a car battery. So you can jump it, sure, but because that way a boat battery works on deep cycles, then uh, what will happen is the boat will eventually die again. Apparently, and that's exactly what happened. Our boat died in the in, in the middle of the lake. And we had to drift a little bit closer to shore before your boy me jumps in and with a rope and I start swimming in across the lake and pulling the boat with my other hand. Wow! I, you know what? Listen, I'm, let's 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 firstly address one thing: a boat on the lake is certainly not as heavy as a boat on land. <laughs> so it was a little easier to uh, it was a little easier to put or I'm sorry, a little easier to move the boat across the lake but what eventually happened was a, a couple saw us or like three three or four people on another boat saw us and they see me struggling because there were go- honest to god camera there were times where i was moving trying to swim and i was like am i even moving anywhere i feel like i'm gonna stand still or to swim still with this <laughs> boat right now so eventually i had to swim to these people who wanted to help out and i handed them the rope so that way they could tie the rope to the end of their boat and they pulled us closer to our dock i i think my dad said i probably pulled it around a hundred yards which wow! Is, yeah, Damn, like, dude. I listen. I I don't. I for, I collapsed on that boat when I handed them the 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 kind strangers the rope and I swam back around to the back of the boat and I got on the boat. I st- stood up for a half a second and then I just completely collapsed because I was so <laughs> exhausted for what had happened. But, um, but yeah,
1: other than that, I'm doing pretty good in this moment. Uh, I'm very pumped because yesterday was a great day. Hockey's back after this weekend. I watched pretty much every single game that was played um and the flyers dominated the boston bruins uh, at least on the score sheet so dominated. i'm more than happy in in that regard at least so at least there's that on on there's a silver lining in all of this right dominated isn't
0: even in my opinion the best possible term for it they straight up annihilated the boston bruins the president's trophy winners in the nhl and it really only took about 40 minutes for the game, or really less than 40 minutes, to determine that this Flyers team was better than this Boston Bruins team. And we'll get into that in all in a second. We're going to talk to you also. Uh, there was a little bit of breaking news that came out just a little over an hour ago. The NHL announced that after over 7,000 tests of the coronavirus, there are still no positive cases to report. So that's even gr- greater news.
1: As uh, we it's, move forward into the bubble, it's almost it's it's amazing when you like, kind of have to wrap your head around that number. I mean, seven thousand out of seven thousand, you're good. That's pretty that's pretty incredible. Not having a single one. It I just, mean, that just shows how the bubble works.
0: It, it shows how the bubble can work. Take notes, MLB. It can show what happens when you're disciplined and you're taking it seriously. Take notes, NBA. Yeah. And so what you then have is a league that is setting the standard for the rest of the sports world to be taking note of. Obviously, we, no one wants to have a bubble. Like I'm sure that there are people that are upset that no fans are allowed. Again, I, I completely understand that. I would want fans to be in the stadium if it you know, was permitted. But at the same time, uh, we have hockey, and that's all you can ask for right now. In a year like 2020, if I'm having hockey games, I'll take what I can get. We're going to jump right into things. The Philadelphia Flyers took on the Boston Bruins in the first round robin game. Cameron, the only thing that really matters to me, the Philadelphia Flyers, they played that first 20 minutes, and like always, they start out a little sluggish. They are getting kind of beat to the puck. Boston looks strong, but they went into that first intermission tied 0-0, and I texted you and told you that it being 0-0 was a good thing because the Flyers exploded in the second period, and seeing how I was at the grocery store. I thought maybe you could tell me more about that second period and just how much I missed.
1: I mean, you pretty much missed their most dominating period. I mean, the third period, I thought they really put a just a a ribbon, right? They tied a bow on on what was a a gift of a game. Uh, Because the third period, they absolutely dominated. I mean, you saw that, at least. Yes, I did. The second period was them kind of fine-tuning their game from the first period and getting, transitioning, essentially, to a a dominating game that we saw. But obviously, we see Michael Roffel... The goal that you saw, I'm hoping that you've seen it at least now. I have seen the highlights probably 10 times now. I've watched the highlights from their extended highlights
0: to the quick ones. That goal from Michael Roffel where he backhands it over the glove of Jaroslav Halak was one of the prettiest moves that I've ever seen that guy make in his entire career.
1: Yeah, it was It was absolutely nasty. Um, seeing Again, seeing it from him too. He's not really the guy that pulls off those types of moves. And then uh, right after that, he makes a, a beautiful pass over to Nate Thompson. A guy who recognizes there's already three flyers pushing forward, but he recognizes that he, Nate Thompson at least, recognizes that he is wide open, jumps in on the rush. Michael Roffel, beautiful pass to him. He snipes it topside. It was an absolute laser beam, something, again, that you don't expect to see from Nate Thompson. Nate Thompson, <laughs> <And> Thompson. <laughs> oh, yeah, on. a guy who's a, a fourth liner. A guy who, I mean, when we when we picked him up during the trade deadline this season, I was not expecting him to make a goal like that, um, but it, it was absolutely beautiful. Now, the greatest part about this whole second period, in my opinion, was how Boston scores. And it was kind of a little bit of a chippy goal. It was a goal that bounces off of Robert Hagg, right past Hart. It's something that I think, obviously, Hart would want back, something that he could wishes that he could stop. But again, it's it's a bouncing puck. It's a little bad, bad puck luck for him. My love for what happened after that is their response immediately. I mean, off the next faceoff, their response to that goal is to go. Jake Voracek. Provides an amazing amount of pressure. It goes right after six nine Zdeno Chara, gets the puck, breaks it up, gets it over to Phil Myers, and Phil Myers himself shows off his sniper skills uh, and stops it, snaps a top shelf. And right there, once he scored, it made a three one with less than a minute go in the sec- to go in the second period, the, the game was over. I mean, at that point, they put the exclamation point on a great game. They said, "This is ours."
0: I think that that goal by Phil Myers, you wouldn't have known the difference between him and a sniper like Claude Giroux because of just how well he placed that puck. They destroy the Boston Bruins, and I'm glad you mentioned Phil Myers as well because Phil Myers probably had the best game of all defensemen, and that's a hell of a statement when you consider the fact every single defenseman pretty much played as well as you could ask. Even guys like Robert Haig for a a goal that went off of his skate and it's just an unlucky bounce. Phil Myers, I thought, was by far and away the best defenseman on the ice for Philadelphia yesterday. Uh, the numbers do also show it, as he finished with a 13.3 Corsi for relevancy percentage. He was the top-rated defenseman on the uh, on the ice for the Flyers. We have to—I I can't mention these numbers by the way, Cameron—without talking about Sean Couturier. Sean Couturier had a 71.43 Corsi 4 percentage in all situations and a Corsi for rele- relevancy of 44. Point six, Sean Couturier shut down Patrice Bergeron. That first whole first line for the Flyers shut down arguably the best line in hockey. That was one of the most complete, most dominating, most spectacular efforts we have seen from the Flyers all season long, and it was amazing that every single line that went after Boston seemingly had an abundance of success. And it starts with your d- second D-line pairings in Phil Myers and Travis Anheim. It leads up to your first line in Sean Couturier and Jake Vorchuk. And it goes into your fourth line with guys like Nate Thompson and Nicholas Albay cubell and, of course, Michael Roffel. So I just I, I couldn't believe how great they ended up playing that game. I thought it was going to be much tighter than that. I thought that was going to be one you sweat
1: out to the end. Yeah, I, I thought it would have been tighter too. Um, but at the same time, I'd also like to see Boston Bruins with Tuukka Rask. Uh, I was looking, doing some little bit of research, and it turns out that the reason why he was not playing was um, he, I guess, was filling out a questionnaire on, on his phone or on a device. I think they all have to do it. I yeah. imagine they all have to do it about their symptoms. And uh, he checked that he had a cough, and he said the device started making all kinds of noises and started going red and all this stuff like that. So he had to essentially self-quarantine for, for two days and had to take uh, make two positive tests before he was able to be cleared again to play. Um, so there you see a little bit of an example of you know, the, the COVID-19 uh, policy for the NHL. Knowing that he's okay, he's obviously going to be a guy who the Flyers would have to deal with against if they had to play against him, which is something that we didn't see yesterday. Um, maybe the game would have gone a little bit different. But at the end of the day, I mean, Carter Hart looks unbelievable. So even if they had to Rask, I still think it would have been an extremely close game. But I still think the Flyers probably would have pulled it away because, I mean, Carter Hart was was stone cold yesterday. Yeah. It was it was absolutely amazing to see. He seemed completely calm, completely complicit in everything that was going on. He seemed completely in his element, which is something that we were questioning a little bit just because, you know, he this is his first time playing NHL playoff hockey. Um, but he looked right at home.
0: You know, you mentioned the goaltender situation and I definitely want to talk more about Carter Hart and his uh his situation, but I mean, Yaroslav Halak coming into the game you know, throughout the regular season, he had played 31 games. He was 18-6-0 in six overtimes. This guy still had a 2.39 GAA with a save percentage of 9 So it wasn't like you were replacing uh, yeah. Tuka Rask with you know some slouch. And I get Tukarask is indeed a Vesna finalist. But I thought the way that they were able to attack Yaroslav Halak, who's had a very fine NHL career, was really encouraging. And getting back to Carter Hart he was 34 or 35 and Cameron i think you would agree with me when i say he wasn't making spectacular like he wasn't making jaw dropping saves and no, re- they weren't highlight reel because he did such a great job with rebound control because mm-hmm. he was in the right he was te- so technically sound where at all times when boston had opportunities he didn't have to make those saves where he was in, in front of his net was where exactly he needed to be every single time. Even on the goal that he let in. You even say it's, tough. it's kind of a chippy goal. It's a goal that probably doesn't happen seven times, eight times out of ten. He just happened to get the one or two times that it's going to happen. He was so calm, measured, collected. He looked every bit the part of a seasoned veteran out there. And that is so encouraging to see for the Philadelphia Flyers moving forward. Because if you get a great Carter Hart in the playoffs, there's no reason why this team can't go far... And deep into the playoffs. So I wanna also uh talk about with you, you know, who impressed you the most. And we're obviously talking about Carter Hart and he obviously has to be a mentioned name, but Cameron yeah, he he would be he would be my number one. Yeah. Hart, I definitely. I can and I totally get that. Uh as far as other players that really stood out to me, we'd mentioned Phil Myers, obviously Michael Raffle impressed, but
1: Yeah, I thought they all did really well. I mean, it's a it was a kind of a game where Kevin Hayes with that pass, uh Ivan Provorov was on the play where Nate Thompson scored as well. He was on that score sheet. He was the secondary assist there. Um, but other than that, I mean, we didn't really see them too often, like you mentioned, but at the same time, we didn't see them making any mistakes either. No one so, made any mistakes, it felt like. Exactly. So so for the veteran players, I mean, they they did what they were supposed to do. Did they blow everybody's socks off with some amazing dangling or a big hit or anything that made a highlight reel? No. But what they did was they got the job done. They were in the right position at the right time. They broke out the right way. Maybe not as much in the first period as we would have liked. But second period, third period, everything was set up perfectly. They executed their game plan to a T and it worked. So Sure, we didn't see them pull off anything amazing, but it, it it resulted in an amazing result. So
0: I think another aspect of this as well is just how the, this is an example of the Philadelphia Flyers not being like a star-studded team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, but just being in the exactly correct spot where they need to be at every single right. critical juncture during a game. And so they don't have a Steven Stamkos or an Alexander Ovechkin or even Patrick Maroon, but what they do have – are a bunch of players that know exactly what they need to do and a group and, of and, solid talent.
1: And, Justin, what do you attribute that to?
0: Delane Vino, Right. Who right. has been... Coaching, exactly. I, I mean, it's going to come back to coaching. throughout. We're going to mention the coach so many times throughout the puffs, and hopefully we'll be mentioning the coach so many times throughout the next decade because mm-hmm. this coach has done such a great job with holding people accountable. Again... They did not come out looking great in that first period. Boston looked fast. I texted like, this Boston team, the way they exit the zone, the way oh, they're yeah, there, yeah. fast, they look unbelievable right now. And, you know, you said that that was a terrifying thing to think about. Well, you know what? This is what happens with Elaine Vigneault, Flyers-led team. You know, they have a sluggish start. They get into the locker room. They make the uh, proper adjustments. They talk about what they need to do. And, boom, what have you got? You've got a 3-1 lead heading into the third period. I do not think that would have happened under Craig Berube when he was here. I do not think that – I certainly do not think that happened under Dave Haxtall when he was here, no. but I'm glad no, it's man. happening now, and it is attributed completely to the coaching staff of Elaine Vigneault. So I wanted to also uh, also ask you, Cameron, uh, the Michael Roffel injury, there's <laughs> some talk, and we want to talk – and there's another injury in Winnipeg with uh, uh, mm-hmm. Mark Scheifele that we're going to talk about. But uh, did you think it was? Uh, did you think it was a little intent? Did you think it was a slew foot, a dirty shot, or just
1: an unfortunate play? No, nah, I mean, it's hard to call that a slew foot. I mean, it obviously his his leg was behind Roffel's leg, but I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it was an intentional slew foot. It looked me to me more like a, a hockey play that just went wrong. Um, I mean, it it did frustrate me. It obviously frustrated Michael Roffel. He looked he looked pretty mad, angry. That's but the at one. the same time, he always looks angry. Even when he scores, <laughs> he kind of looks pissed off. So like, Scott Lawton was I pretty angry. I don't know how to judge it. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. It's it's funny because he seems like one of the more quiet guys, but Scott Lawton also seems to be like getting the perfect person to get under players' skins. You would think that it'd be TK, but at the same time, like Lawton is to me right up with there or right up in there uh, with TK in terms of trash talking. But but no, I don't think that was necessarily intentional. And believe it or not, even the, the Winnipeg one, I don't know if you want to get into this now or, or later. We'll, but... we'll
0: wait a bit, but you don't. But
1: okay. my guess okay. is that you don't find it to be the most egregious play? No, especially given like the, the person doing it. I'm, I feel like a lot of people are making a judgment based off the person who was involved in the hit. Again, this is in terms of the Calgary-Winnipeg, but we'll get into that later. But no, for the Michael Rafa one, I, I wouldn't say it was necessarily intentional. Um, it looked like a bad hockey play. And... The great thing, too, uh, apparently, is from from what I'm hearing, is that the Michael Roffel injury isn't as bad as uh, some people have been speculating. So we might miss him for the rest of the round, Robin, maybe, I'm hoping. Uh, but I'm hoping he'll be back, ready to go when uh, the actual elimination rounds come.
0: I think that uh, they said that, or Elaine Vino said that he'll be out for a little while, which that doesn't... That's obviously not what you want to hear, but at the same time, that doesn't sound indefinite. That sounds like we're going to get yes. him back at some point. And also, you know, while we're on this subject now, I'll just bring it up. The Flyers did announce, or I guess Elaine Vino announced, that Joel Farabee will be taking over for Michael Roffel's spot. I tweeted this out. I'm sure you agree, Cameron. This Flyers team has a lot of depth, and they can overcome an injury to a guy like Michael Roffel. And I think starting with a guy like Joel Farabee is a great example of that, because he was an impressive rookie. He wasn't great. He wasn't spectacular. But he was a good rookie player that knows exactly what he needs to do as he's stepping back
1: into the lineup. Oh, yeah, definitely. We also talked about how um, we would like for him to get some playoff experience, too. And here you go. Yeah, with Eric Reese about that. Now, obviously, we wish it came differently. We wish it wasn't coming as a result of an injury. But, yeah, I think this is is a great opportunity for Joel Farabee. And I I think he's going to do fine, if not possibly excel. I mean, he may earn himself a spot on the 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 permanent roster for the rest of these playoffs depending on how he plays like you just mentioned i mean he's had a a relatively solid rookie season you know he didn't again blow anybody's socks off with what he did but he showed that he was competent he was where he needed to be and he seems to me at least that he's up at the nhl level so uh i i think it's a great opportunity for him and i'm excited to see him too
0: so we'll talk more about the flyers and the capitals game in just a little bit i just want to talk about what's going around the nhl at this point and uh cameron let me just firstly say this. If March Madness and college basketball taught us nothing, is that you don't necessarily trust the five seed versus the 12 seed. And <laughs> that became especially apparent in the NHL elimination rounds or the qualifying rounds as the Chicago Blackhawks took out the Edmonton Oilers in game one of their series and the Montreal Canadiens taking out the Pittsburgh Penguins in overtime. The Hurricanes beating the Rangers 4-1 to to take a 2-0 series lead. The Islanders defeated the Panthers 2-1 to the other night. I think they resumed their series to uh, either tonight or tomorrow. And then the Flames and Jets who are also playing right now. Uh, the Flames winning game one 4-1. to that, that series, that's going to be the chippiest series probably of all the qualifying rounds. But Cameron, mm. uh, what shocked you the most from this uh, early uh, qualifying match? I would have
1: to say it was it was the Penguins game, because I like Chicago again. We mentioned when we had Eric Reese on the show a little while back and we did this this playoff preview. Um, Chicago still has pieces of their dynasty team, so they still have Jonathan Tapes, who was a, a key factor in the reason why they won against Edmonton. They still have Patrick Kane, uh, Duncan Keith even got in on the scoring sheet. So it didn't necessarily surprise me as much because again, also with Edmonton, they don't have the strongest defense. And the strongest goaltender. I mean, Mike Smith was literally spanked at one point. I mean, Jonathan Taves banked a goal off of his butt. So, I mean, literally spanked. Um, it was what? a tough look. It was a very tough look for Edmonton. What
0: the hell is Edmonton doing not starting Nico Koskinen? What the hell are they doing? Do they not? I picked
1: this team to go to the cup, and they're hey, already man, doing crap like this. I mean, what, what have they been doing for the last 10, 20 years? Looking for goaltending I and mean, defense. Yeah, let's be honest, and and not, but not. They're looking for it, but it seems like they're not really looking too hard because they don't really go out of their way too much to try to improve their their defense and their goaltending as much. I mean, they kind of just pick up guys who are, you know, journeymen at best for the most part. Um,
0: here's the thing: Mike Smith is. I agree with you. He's a journeyman, and he's and he certainly like he didn't even have a very good regular season. He was such an average, average goalie in the regular season that having him in the playoffs should not have been even a question of like, okay, we're not gonna start this guy that has like a 902 save percentage. They had Mikos Koskinen, who had started 38 games, or I'm sorry, he started 34 games, and he had a 275 GAA with a save percentage of 91 A 917 save percentage, people, is a good thing to have. That's a good save percentage. So why they decided to go with Mike Smith over him, I have no clue, but they got exactly what they deserved by just getting figuratively and literally spanked by the Chicago Blackhawks. And then over for Pittsburgh, I, the only thing I could really say regarding that whole situation in that game one was just Pittsburgh let a bad team hang around. And I don't know if it'll happen again yeah. tonight, but you have to start to wonder about the Tristan Jari, Matt Murray dichotomy because there were mm-hmm. some goals th- those last two goals that Murray let in that ultimately led to Montreal winning are just goals. You can't let up. And Murray has been very suspect this year.
1: I think the third one wasn't as much of his fault because, I mean, Petrie came flying in the zone and nobody picked him up, literally nobody. Uh, but yeah, the first the first one was very bad. Now, a lot of Penguin fans, uh, you know, looking on Twitter, obviously want them to start Tristan Jarred because he had a better regular season for the most part. Yeah. Um, but apparently they're they're sticking with Matt Murray uh, going into tonight's game. So I, it's going to be interesting to see. But like you said, I, I'm also interested to see how they rebound from this. We talk a lot about Mike Sullivan and how he was a great coach. Uh, I think that he's going to try to make the, the necessary adjustments to win a game or win this game. I I, I don't see. I, I still don't see Pittsburgh losing this series. Um, I don't think there's any it, cause for concern for
0: Pittsburgh fans just yet.
1: If they lose, no, to, but, li-
0: they lose tonight. Then the, there can be some concern.
1: Oh yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. Is that in in these elimination games, these best at five throughout history, I think there's only been 56 total played. I, I saved a stat earlier from. I know. What, I know what stat you're all already all referencing.
0: All it it's it teams yeah. are 55 and one in best guessed. of 5 situations when they've taken a 2-0 series lead which yeah, I so I, Montreal
1: I, wins tonight.
0: They have a pretty well over that's, 95% chance of winning the actual series.
1: And that's that's pretty that's pretty scary for Pittsburgh. I mean that's pretty scary, and pretty embarrassing to be I, completely honest with you.
0: I expect Pittsburgh to come out in kind of like a blitzkrieg looking manner. I think they're going to try and mm-hmm. do everything to to put Montreal away early. I would say to for Montreal fans if if your team survives the first twenty minutes and you're either tied or just maybe down by a goal, that might be a very good thing for the Montreal yeah. Canadiens. Uh, yeah. and A
1: big piece for their success was Carey Price too. He did incredibly well. Oh my well. goodness
0: gracious, he was phenomenal. Yeah. He he hey
1: he wants that he wants that Stanley Cup. You know he's he's gotten all the other trophies. He's like I I don't care if I have to do this all myself. I'm gonna get that cup. <laughs> um. So he he played great. And the other thing too, like you mentioned as well, is like Pittsburgh just let them stick around. I mean, how many power plays did they have that they just didn't score on? They, and, how many opportunities did they have? And they, they just,
0: you, they weren't on. even good looking power plays. They looked, no. they looked very, very poor. So I thought that the way that Pittsburgh, and you know what? It wasn't even like Pittsburgh played that great against Philadelphia in the exhibition game. They are still yeah, tr- no. clearly finding their footing. Um, a lot of teams aren't really playing that well with the power play. And this—the because the team that I want to talk about next the Winnipeg Jets, they were 0-7 for in their Game 1. for 0-7 on the power play in Game 1 against Calgary. And so with that, I want to definitely mention the Mark Shifley situation. The series uh, gets going. The game gets going. And almost immediately, you have a situation with Matthew Kachuk as he uh, (laughs) checks Mark Shifley and you can't really see it from the program but if you ask Paul Maurice, you can see it from the blue line camera. Matthew Kachuk supposedly lifting up his leg and actually uh cutting or doing something to the guys ACL as Paul Maurice put it the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets Cameron it it certainly caused blood between the two the two squads Winnipeg and Calgary it has made it a very entertaining series already but you don't seem to think that it was a uh, malicious injury uh, I'm kind of I'm with you but at the same time I'm kind of on the other side of it
1: I like I didn't I don't know, like from the angle and something that happens that fast, for a guy to to think that quickly to try to intentionally injure a player, I think is really hard to do. Um, I don't
0: think he was I really don't think he went into that going, I'm going to, you know, try and end Mark Shifley's career. I certainly don't think that. No. I think though that Matthew Kachuk, much like all of the Kachuks, have a history of playing really reckless hockey and making irresponsible yes. decisions on the ice. And I think that this is a situation where Matthew Kachuk made an irresponsible decision. And luckily, it looks like that it isn't going to be as serious as initially feared. Mm -hmm. But that was still a situation which could have ended a guy's career. Or at the very worst, you're putting him out for a year and a half. Or at the very least, I should say. So I, I really wasn't surprised that it came from a guy like Matt Kachuk. And I'm not surprised at all that Winnipeg was infuriated by it. It also doesn't yeah. help that now Winnipeg was is down Patrick Line. so they're down they're down Mark Shifley and Patrick Line for game 2, which is just a, it's a brutal situation to be in, Cameron. That's just that's a brutal brutal situation for them.
1: Yeah, it's not looking good for them. Uh and Calgary's a pretty offensive team, so it's going to be you know having two of your top scoring players gone and and not able to produce and help the silver lining is maybe that they have something to rally behind now you know with with mark shifley being down patrick liney being down they have to look at each other and say you know what guys it relies on us now
0: you know obviously i wanted to quickly mention with you we we briefly mentioned this you didn't think the game one between the rangers and hurricanes fell falls on the shoulders of henrik lundquist game two he certainly didn't fare much better are the Rangers making a mistake by not going with uh, uh, Gregoriev over Henrik Lundqvist, seeing as also Igor Shosturkin is out for the, at least for the first two games?
1: It's hard to tell. Because um, again, yeah, the first game, I don't blame him for. He went, I think, 34 for 37. And the goals that were against him weren't entirely his fault. I think after, now after losing two games, you might as well go with, with the other guy at this point. Um but at the same time, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, there's not a lot of defensive help for either of them. Now, like you said, game two for for Henrik has been was a little bit worse. That first goal against was was tough. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I would think agree. He thought he, I think he thought he was it was going you know a top shelf and it went right right underneath of his armpit and it was not a good look for him. No, it's um, it's one of those mistakes
0: not... where an aged goal. To, he looked aged because like yes, young Henrik Lundqvist yeah. would have never made a mistake like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, 100. I felt the same. I felt the same exact thing. Same exact thing when I saw that. It was very uncharacteristic of Henrik Lundqvist. But at the same time, this Carolina Hurricanes team. I mean, they're you wanted. To, you talked about the speed with with Boston. I'm seeing that same speed with Carolina. I mean, they seem they seem they seem like they're playing pissed off hockey. Like they're angry that other teams are are kind of sh- shooing them away and not really caring too much about them. Aren't really concerned with them. Sebastian Aho. What a game today. I mean, my yes. goodness, the kid was on fire. Svechnikov with his first ever hat trick, the first ever Kane's hat trick in playoff history. Yes. They, they are just a lot scarier than, than at least I was, was looking at them as going into this, into these playoffs. So, I think it. Even if you put any goaltender in there, they're going to have to. Their their plates going to be full.
0: Peter Mrazek, who has been playing phenomenally for Carolina throughout these first years. Yeah, few please games. tell
1: me you saw that glove save. Please oh, tell me. Absolutely. absolutely. Oh my goodness.
0: I did. Um The one other game that I didn't even mention was last night's game between the Vancouver Canucks and the Minnesota Wild. I think we had both mm-hmm. picked the Canucks to win that series, Cameron. And, yes. you know, it's, it's a good thing that they actually play the games because Minnesota not only beats Vancouver, but they shut them out 3 nothing. Staylock, the goalie for Minnesota, looked great. Vancouver had many opportunities to get on the board. They had their opportunities, but it just nothing was going for them. And then a little goal, a, a, a kind of a fluky goal that happens against Vancouver kind of puts the kibosh on any comeback attempt that they had. I thought that Vancouver looked good. It was
1: just really good. Um I I think the whole game was a little bit distracted by the the uh, Ryan Hartman moment. I'm not sure if you saw that at all.
0: Oh, we're talking about the spear. Oh, oh, I didn't yes, I didn't realize yes, it yes. was Ryan Hartman that had grabbed the stick.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Ryan, I uh, well I tell you what. I don't know who what was the name of that player? that got? I I couldn't when I saw the video of that, I was like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" Yeah. 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 Like, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen a uh, you're try, you're already out. For game one. You've already lost game one, right? Mm -hmm. So you're down Mm -hmm. 1-0. So the last thing that you need to do is put yourself in an even worse situation by spearing a guy on the bench, thus ensuring that you're not going to be playing in game two.
1: Yeah, Ryan Hartman knew what he was doing. I mean, he uh, got exactly what he wanted from (laughs) from that whole exchange. So we get
0: ready to move on into the round robins. The Flyers will be taking on the Washington Capitals, Cameron, on Thursday Is that right? Is it Thursday?
1: Yes, you are correct.
0: We don't have a time yet. I know that. We don't have a time Mm -hmm. of when they'll be playing. But Cameron, I, I assume you would feel good about their matchup going into that game with Washington considering how we had played Washington earlier this season. You know, I think that the one thing that I want to see from Philadelphia going into this game against Washington is the same kind of swagger that they had going up against Washington in March and February I think this Flyers team yeah. believes that they're better than than the Capitals. They've played. I mean, what
1: what better way to acquire that swagger than by beating the President's Trophy team? It, it, it's ex- by it's dominating a perfect the President's, president's Trophy team.
0: I think the Flyers will be favored to win this game, and I quite honestly think that they should win this game because yeah. they have the players to beat Washington. They've proven they can beat Washington, and you see that the way that they just play and how balanced they are across all four lines. You don't see that with the Washington Capitals. You don't see that kind of discipline on the Washington Capitals find me a Flyers player a Flyers forward that doesn't try his best on defense you're not you're going to be hard-pressed to find one even a guy like Nicholas oh, yeah. Albey Cubell, who's not known for defense can will still get back there and play some solid D and he'll back check and he'll do what he needs to do Washington right. a good team they've got plenty of firepower they could absolutely win the game on Thursday they've got they've still got Nick Backstrom they've got I don't know why Evgeny Kuznets I don't know why I was blanking on Cootsie's Kuz, name They've got T.J. Oshi, and they have good defenders. I would assume that John Carlson will be okay to play for that game on Thursday, but mm-hmm. I think Philadelphia is just downright the better team, and I think that they proved I, against Boston that they just might be the best team in the Eastern Conference.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it a lot. Like, uh, the Flyers were, if, if the season ended, we think the Flyers would be number one in the Metro, and I don't think that's a crazy thing to say whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, I I'm not worried. As a Flyer fan, I'm not worried at all about Washington. Um, you know, again, at the same time, we should not overlook them because, like you said, no, they have no, a, no, lot, no, 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 no. a lot of talent and the same amount of talent. But, um, but yeah, their, their defense throughout this season hasn't been the greatest. And their goaltending, I think, kind of reflects that when you look at their goaltender averages. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I have nothing but confidence going into this game on Thursday. And uh, I think the Flyers, as long as they, again, stay calm, cool, and collective like Carter Hart was all Sunday night or all Sunday during the game, Uh, they're going to come away with another win like they have throughout the season against Washington.
0: I'm glad you mentioned confidence because one more point I want to make before we start to close things down is winning your first two games returning from this long layoff and beating teams like Pittsburgh and beating the Boston Bruins, Mm -hmm. I mean, how much more confidence could you ask for a team to acquire? This team has got to feel like they are truly still in that zone that they were in in mid-March, I, I I can't think of another team that should have more confidence right now based on the first two games of the return to play than these Philadelphia Flyers.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. The Flyers are probably the most confident team uh, going into these playoffs, going into the rest of these playoffs moving forward. And I think after seeing what they've done in two games so far, I, if I'm on another team and I'm seeing the Philadelphia Flyers on my calendar, I'm sweating a little bit.
0: I love that. I, I want teams to be sweating, Cameron. So for the Fly Guys podcast, my name is Justin Goodhart. This has been Cameron Klein. Cameron, obviously, we just talked about the Flyers and what they need to do to make sure they beat the Washington Capitals. Any predictions ahead of Thursday's game?
1: Uh, predict W. That's uh, pretty
0: much. Good all years to that. Gonna get that dub. Um, yeah. I agree. I'm gonna go five two Flyers over the Washington Capitals. Follow Cameron Klein on Twitter at Cameron Klein fifteen and myself at Goodhart Justin. Be sure to also check us out on Spotify if you don't use Apple Podcasts. Be happy, be healthy, everyone, wear your masks, and as always, let's go Flyers.